Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are here every week and uh, the church exists. Faith Lakeside exists to know God and make him known. And I know that you guys are probably tired of hearing that, but it's true. This is our goal so that we have a clear understanding of why we gather together every week. It's not just because we like one another, though we do. It's not just to be able to share food, though that's nice. It's not just to, uh, you know, do our due diligence, but it really is for the sake of being in deeper relationship with God through learning of him and being part of his fellowship and also being prepared to make him known. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about just setting the stage for uh, who's welcome here in this fellowship. And hopefully you understand by now that it is our job to be welcoming. We, we as Christians, we as a church, we as a fellowship are commanded to welcome one another and welcome whoever will walk in the door seeking the truth of Christ Jesus, just as Christ also welcomed you. Now I have to encourage you to think back to the, the, the season before you were saved. Were you the best person in the world? Were you actively seeking Jesus Christ or did he come and find you out and welcome you into fellowship? And many of us, our story is such that we actually were the ones who were hunted down by Jesus himself. And he saved us and and he claimed us out and welcomed us into his goodness and glory, even when we were kicking and screaming and uh, not really quite on board. And and that kind of is the picture we've got of the church. We should be so welcoming that whoever of any mindset or any background comes in the door, we welcome them as Christ welcomed us, not with the intent of being approving, of where they're at in life, but instead to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and show them what right living in Jesus Christ and what a blessing it is to be in Jesus Christ, what it all looks like. And so just to wrap up the last couple of weeks, sinners of all kinds are welcome here and can discover a place in a fellowship that matters. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, 9 and 10 gives us this list of things that keep us from the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, and that's what some of you were. But we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified. God did the work of changing us and bringing us into his body. We we see in Galatians that there is an equality, no matter our backgrounds, no matter our sex, that there is an equality in Christ Jesus when it comes to salvation and being renewed. And while we have different roles and places of working and serving and giving inside the body, according to Titus and Timothy, we are all equal before Christ and all welcome in his family and kingdom. The last thing I really wanted to talk about this beginning of the year as we're kicking off and and looking at who we are is just to say beyond a shadow of a doubt that children are welcome here. Children are are welcome here. And and what we mean by that is is probably kind of a a layered kind of thing. Many of you, if you're in the the Christian uh, culture kind of zitgeist, you know that that, uh, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it's a Sunday in which we look back at the choices that our nation has made regarding abortion and and, and even ideas like euthanasia, and and which is not a missions movement, which is what I always thought it was when I was a kid. Youth in Asia is, you know, the the killing of someone, mercy killing. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Some of you got it. Others, you're like, why did he even take that side road? It's because, you know, I do that. But, but that, that abortion and euthanasia, did you know that in, in Canada today, there is a process by which people can be medically euthanized and the, 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 the standards for acceptance into the program are wide and varied. In fact, to the point where if you feel like you can't afford your rent and life is too overwhelming, you could be put on the list for medical euthanasia in Canada. That, that if you have a disability that's that just something that you struggle with and you can't get the proper treatment for it in Canada, they would be happy to take your life, but they won't be happy to try and help you live it. And and that 
<laughs> I am not familiar with all the details. I know it's a medical euthanasia, though. So Google it. It's M-A-I-D, MADE, the, is the acronym for the program. All, all that to say, while it seems compassionate, it, 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 it really, much of it stems from a devaluing of humanity. Not welcoming people, starting with children. And so when we say children are welcome here, we need to understand that as Christians, the first place children should be welcome is into our lives at all. Because so many people are seeing children as optional, as something that is, uh, you know, an, an accessory sometime in life when we're successful enough. Now, I'm not saying that you must have children in order to be a good Christian, but I am saying that every Christian's mindset should be such that children are a welcome thing in all of our lives. And if God has for you marriage and children, it should be something to celebrate, not something to see as a hindrance to your life. If, if we were to look just in Psalm 139, and I realize that this is kind of like the proof text or one of the proof texts for um, life beginning at conception, but it's because this is what God's word says to us. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16. For it was you, and this is the psalmist writing to God, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, a picture of the womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. We can look and see in God's word here and in other places how God speaks to us and says that even in the womb, a life is valuable and must be honored. That, that God has a purpose and a plan for every child, regardless of the circumstances of their conception. And that is a difficult thing. And that is not to say that there is not evil in this world, but it is to say that God can take evil and even bring beautiful good from evil. And so we as Christians should have a mindset of every child that God gives should be welcome in our society and welcome in our lives. And we should be teaching that to everyone around us. And we should be standing up for it. We must understand that a person's value doesn't begin when they finally have their degree and can become, uh, you know, like able to add to society. It doesn't begin when, when they're able to work hard and provide. It doesn't begin at some arbitrary point in life that we have assigned. Instead, God's word gives us a very clear picture of the value of a person beginning at conception. We, we understand this, that even when Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and spent nine months in Mary's womb, he was God in the flesh from the very first division of cells. It wasn't he showed up on the scene on the day of his birth, but it was God incarnate from the very first second of conception. We know that babies with inside the womb are alive and valuable. Scripture tells us that, the, the, that John the Baptist, he wasn't known as John the Baptist yet. Uh, that comes a little later. But we know him as John the Baptist in his mother's womb that he gets excited as, a, as, as an infant in his mother's womb when his mother gets close to Mary and the baby Jesus within her womb. We, we see that, that life is valuable and begins at the very moment that God gives it. And so as Christians, we should be willing to defend and welcome children from the very first moment of life. And so just a, this is actually just the, the beginning. This is the intro to the rest of the sermon. But we should be seeking to end abortion. Now, listen, we can have arguments and discussions about some things that are medically necessary as treatments. And I, I can grant those. We, we certainly don't want someone to lose their life when medicine can, can provide and prevent something. But statistically, uh, uh, only a very, very small percentage of abortions are taken or, or performed in order to save the mother's life in a medically necessary way. Over 90% of abortions are elective and performed simply because the child is unwanted. And that should make us 
mourn. And so we should want to end elective abortion. And in fact, there are Christians today who would like to see the procedure as a, an option completely ended. Of course, women would still need appropriate medical treatment when it comes to child rearing or, or childbearing. But, but abortion as a practice, ending a viable life should be absolutely eliminated. And, and as Christians, there is much biblical standing for this. And so what are some things that we can do to end abortion? Well, of course, I, I would like to say if, if for some reason you have uh, been party to an abortion in your life, don't feel condemned. Don't feel like God is, is uh, casting you aside and you're irredeemable. Instead, begin again today. Repent of the choices of the past and seek to glorify God in what you do in the future. But all of us should want to end abortion. And we might think that we would go out and we should pick it, right? Or we should, we should go out and we should uh, hold up signs and yell at people who are doing what they think is best for their life. And I would counter to say, I don't know that that's effective. That, that when we do things like that, people who know that they're doing wrong will still do the wrong. The first and most important thing that we can do to end abortion in our culture and in our sphere of influence, number one, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never expect unsaved people to behave in righteous ways. Scripture tells us, as one YouTuber, not YouTuber, Twitter person says over and over again, pagans are going to peg. We should not expect unrighteous people to behave righteously. And, and the reason is because they are dead in sin, slaves to sin, and do not know how to behave righteously, not genuinely. And so if we want to see a culture change from darkness to light, it is not legislation or picketing or yelling at people that changes things. It is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and allowing the gospel to change their heart and for them to understand the value of every life. Number one, how to end abortion and welcome children, share the gospel. Number two, all of us should be teaching and standing up for a biblical sexual ethic. All day, every day, to our children and every child around us and everything we, we do partake of in culture, everything we support, we should be working harder to promote and and grab a hold of and teach a biblical sexual ethic. And what is a biblical sexual ethic? Well, scripture gives it to us pretty clearly. It is one man, one woman for one lifetime commitment. That is the biblical sexual ethic. And we should be teaching it. Any variation of that gives grounds for someone to practice intimacy in any way they want and opens the door for the necessity of an abortion. If we don't value intimacy as a people, why would we value the fruits of intimacy? And so we must first share the gospel, value intimacy and what it is. And then finally, make much of marriage. Actually, that's not finally. Next to finally, <laughs> make much of marriage. How many of us, when people look at us, if we're married, they would probably think that marriage is the worst thing ever. How many of our kids, from Monday through Saturday, when they wake up, their first thought is, I don't want to be like mom and dad. And their last thought as they go to bed is, I hope I don't ever have a relationship like that. The best answer is probably just to not get married. Instead, we as Christians should be making much of marriage, much of our own, much of the value of marriage. Now, singleness is also something that can be a calling on one's life. But if you're single and you know that God has put you in that position, you too should still make much of marriage. Tell others about the beauty of it and the gift that it is. And now the finally, finally, celebrate parenthood. How, how many of, of us have heard a parent talk about kids in such a way that we have decided we will never have any of our own? Any, anybody? Um, now, it would be a lie to tell you that raising children is easy. But I have to tell you that apart from salvation and marriage for me, the only thing that even compares has been the three kids that I think are mine. <laughs> I'm kidding, Shelly. Sorry, I shouldn't make that joke from up front, should I? Uh, yeah, I know. I love you. And the kids all look like me and behave like me. So everybody knows. I know. 
It is a beautiful thing to be a parent. Now, I hope if, if, if it isn't something that God has given you, I hope you can sit back and appreciate it and understand the beauty of it. But all of us should stop complaining about parenthood. Why would someone want to have a baby when all of us make parenthood look like the worst thing ever? Right? So these things together, how do we end abortion in our life? Share the gospel. Saved people will behave in saved ways. That's the goal. But they must be saved first. Teach. Exalt. Watch television shows. Support things that are centered in a biblical sexual ethic. Make much of marriage. Make your marriage good so that other people will long to be married and be in a relationship like yours. And then finally, celebrate parenthood. When you see kids, when you're raising kids, make it what it is, a joy. Stop telling all the bad stories and encourage. When we meet young parents, what's the first thing we do? Oh, it's going to get worse. Well, it gets worse and it gets better too. Celebrate parenthood. Now, finally, uh, that's, that's the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday portion of our message. But I want us to, to talk about the fact that children are welcome here, like in this building. A lot of us, we have a concept about young, younger people. And, and young people is anybody younger than us, right? And, and the older you get, the more young people there are. And the younger, no, the older old people get. Like, like you, you know what I mean. Like for me, you know, 50 used to be old. Now it's like 90 is old. Uh, you know, your perspective slides as you get closer to that, uh, that old level. But we, we want to we just unequivocally live as a people who say children are welcome here. Not, not just come to the door, not just children are the future of the church, so let's put them off somewhere and hope they grow up good. But instead to say children will always be welcome in our midst. That we will be a people who will welcome children in such a way that they will know that they belong. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up to the, the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and then verses 28 and 29. And, and as we look at this, what we see in Joel chapter 2 is that God is speaking through Joel of a time where he will come upon his people in such a way that their relationship with him will change. It will be one no longer based on the Old Testament things, but that God will enter into a new work amongst his people. And who will be part of this new work? Well, let's, let's look at that then. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 first. Here's what God says through Joel. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged. Gather the infants, even babies nursing at the breast. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples? Where is their God? And so what is heading or coming for these people is a restoration, but first they must repent. First they must turn to God fully and look him in the face. And, and so Joel is telling the, the people, God through Joel is telling them, this is what you need to do. Repent. Come back to me with all your heart. Come and weep and mourn for how you used to be and come spend time with me. And it's interesting when we read the list of people who are included in this act of repentance, in this gathering of coming to God, it says in verse 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged. And most of us, we would like it to just stop right there, wouldn't we? All right, so we're getting all the faithful people, all the people that understand, all the people that have their, their head on straight. But then he says this, gather the infants, even the babies nursing at the breast. 
He's drawing a, a, a picture of the congregation that is to assemble in worship to God. And it is from the very oldest all the way to the very youngest. And when God speaks of this gathering and this assembly, if he gives us the bookends of the oldest and the youngest, who else might be included? Everyone in between. When, when there, it's time to gather, when it's time to worship, when it's time to get right with God, God paints a picture here in Joel of the congregation not just being made up of the people who know things or can do the ritual, but everyone of all age groups. The, the, the young marrieds are supposed to abandon their celebrations and come and be part of the gathering and the fellowship. And then... God says this through Joel as we look ahead to verses 28 and 29. He says this, after this, after this time of repentance, this time of gathering and renewal of all of God's people from very old to very young, here's what will happen. I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. God makes this promise through Joel and says, in this time of repentance, in this time of renewal, when you turn your hearts back to me, that the spirit will be poured out on you. Now, Peter tells us that this prophecy is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The day when the Holy Spirit came upon those gathered in the upper room and they went out and they proclaimed the good news of Jesus to everyone in Jerusalem and everybody heard the gospel in their own language. And we see this, this prophecy is fulfilled, but, but this prophecy continues to be filled in our midst, fulfilled in our midst because we are the, the people who are filled with the Spirit. We are the people who are renewed by the very presence of God. And it isn't just for the old people. It is for sons and daughters. It's for the young as well. It's for the, the children who would be part of the gathering that they will experience God as well. That they will know him and learn how to make him known. Children all throughout biblical history are in the very center of every important gathering of God's people. Now, here are a few other examples. We see the promise in Joel, but here's some stuff that happens all throughout the Old Testament. Exodus, chap Exodus chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. Here's what God says through Moses. When you enter the land that the, Lord you, uh, that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. And the ceremony that he's speaking of is Passover. And so uh, when you live in the promised land, you should observe Passover. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our, our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. Now, there are a couple of things here that this passage very clearly shows us and a couple of implications. Number one, who's present at this ceremony in the household? The whole family, all ages, children included. Second thing that, that it, it, it teaches us is that they will have questions, right? Now, the implication is they don't understand what's going on. But this lack of understanding becomes an opportunity to teach. Do you, do you see the, the picture here of, of the Old Testament that you bring your children into the most intimate of things with the God that you serve, not because they're going to get it, but so they can experience it and ask good questions when it's done. And then you get the opportunity to teach them, to mold them, to shape them according to that experience. Exodus chapter 13, verses 7 through 8. The festival of unleavened bread. It's a seven-day festival in which you, the, the Jewish people eat nothing that has leaven, yeast, or anything yeast-like in it. 
And here's what God says. Unleavened bread is to be eaten for those seven days. Nothing leavened may be found among you. And no yeast may be found among you in all your territory. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Those seven days when there is no leavened bread and there's not supposed to be any yeast found in the territory, who gets to participate in those seven days of feasts? The whole family, everyone. This intimate spiritual celebration isn't just for the old people or the the learned people or people past a certain age, but it's for everyone, children of all ages. And what is the objective Will they understand perfectly? No. But the goal is that by participation, they'll have good questions and they'll learn and grow and be trained up by the experience. Deuteronomy 16.11, the festival of weeks or Pentecost. It says this, uh, rejoice before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. You, your son and daughter, your male and female slave, the Levite within your city gates, as well as the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow among you. At the most important celebrations to be celebrated and gathered together yearly in the life of God's people, children are always included. In the festival of shelters, another once a year festival, a week long, they would make tents and and shelters out of branches and and live in those shelters for a week to to remember the time that they were wandering in Egypt for or wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and how God provided And here's what God's word says in Deuteronomy 16. You are to celebrate the festival of shelters for seven days when you have gathered in everything from your threshing floor and wine press. Rejoice during your festival, you, your son and daughter, your male and female slaves, as well as the the Levite, the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow within your city gates. That in this critical celebration of the provision and goodness of God, children are to be center right there in the midst of everything. It's not a special service. It's not a, hey, be sure to build a shelter somewhere over there for the kids and let them go play while you do the real work of God's worship. But instead, children are supposed to be front and center and in the midst of everything in the gathering of God's people. Nehemiah 8.2, on the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Now we might go, well, what is understanding? Can you understand words? Yes, then you can listen. And that means that you can learn and you can grow. It doesn't mean all the old people or all the people of a certain age, but everyone who could hear God's word and know what those words meant was invited into the midst. John 6, 9. You want to know if it continues into the, the New Testament? Do you know who is at Jesus' teachings? He's out in the wilderness. He's teaching. There's thousands of people gathered. And we know that there was at least one small child under the age of 12 who was there to listen. How do we know that? Because when it came time to feed the 5,000, he's the one that provided the five loaves and two fish that Jesus prayed over and broke to feed 5,000. We think that was probably just men. And so the full crowd was 15 to 20,000 people. That is quite the church dinner. Five loaves, two fish, all of it possible. Well, first, because of the Savior. And second, because... The fellowship welcomed small children. The gathering included people of all ages. Acts 20, 9 through 10. And maybe this might be a little bit of actually an an argument against children in the service. (laughs) But Acts chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. The story is this. Paul is preaching. It's late at night. He's on his way to uh, back to Jerusalem. This is a, a sermon. He just keeps preaching and preaching. It's the middle of the night. He's gone for hours. You think it's bad here. He's gone for hours and hours. And here's what happens. A young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. 
But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. Now, this word young man, it is specific to someone between the ages of eight and 11. So we have a, what we would count someone who probably should have been off, shuffled into the corner somewhere, cared for by somebody, under somebody else's watch. He's in the middle of the gathering. Now, once again, something bad happens. But it's normal. It, it, it is the standard in the Bible for children to be in the midst of the gathering and the proclamation of the word and the celebration of God's goodness. It is biblical for kids to be in the midst of it all. And that's really what, what I mean, what I hope you can hear. by when, when I say children are welcome here, that children are not some sort of second-class biblical citizen, which is what our culture tries to tell us about children. They need to be shuffled off. They need to be taught in a special way that includes lots of sweet foods and animated cartoons. What that does is it discounts children and it treats them as though they are imbeciles and unworthy of the good news of the gospel in the same way that you are worthy of it. Children are present in the gathering of the faithful all throughout the ages biblically. So what I want to do is, is, is not to, to convince you of anything specific, but just to say we as God's people should be creating an atmosphere where no matter who sits in the seats here with us on a Sunday morning, we show them love and acceptance and we welcome them. And we should welcome the fidgety child just as much, if not more so, than we would welcome the drug addict or the, the sinner or the good person who needs to hear the gospel. Because we also have some very specific responsibilities given to us by scripture. Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 through 3. This is Jesus and, and Jesus is out teaching. And, and people keep bringing children to him. And, and so the disciples begin to ask questions about things like, Well, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a small child and had him stand among them. Now, what does that mean about the gathering of disciples? Who's there? A small child. Can you, can you picture that? Can you wrap your mind around that? We watch The Chosen and we think, oh, it was just a bunch of uh, moderately pretty people dressed up in cosplay. No, look, the nitty gritty and every age group right there in Jesus' presence on a regular basis. To where even when he's having discussions with the disciples, there's a kid in the crowd hanging out with them. And he's like, hey, come here. Come here. Jacob. That's just fun to say, right? That's Hebrewish Jacob. Come here. And he calls a small child. And he has him staying among them. And he says this, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't look at children and say, ah, sit still, stop it. He looks at his disciples and says, get passionate about your salvation and your life like this child is passionate. He doesn't condemn the child. He condemns the disciples for having a wrong mindset. Be like the child. Later on, this is what happens. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus says, leave the little children alone. And don't try to keep them from coming to me. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Do we, do we understand that when, when we shuffle anyone off into the corner, we are telling them, you're not ready. You're not good enough. It, it, it doesn't belong to you yet. When Jesus himself says, let the little children sit and hear, let them grow, let them know the gospel, because these are the ones that it belongs to. Ones like them. You should want to be like them, he has told us earlier. Mark chapter 10, so the similar circumstance could even be the exact same circumstance. But Jesus says something a little different. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Indignant. Do you, do you know what that word means? 
like angry. What is your problem, guys? Why are you keeping the children from me? Why are you shuffling them off? Why are you segregating them from us? He is upset. A lot of us don't think of Jesus that way. Jesus got upset, but never sinned. Because it was never about himself. It was about the kingdom of God and the glory of the Father. And here's what Jesus says. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In, in our day and age, we want nice, easy dividing lines. We want to be undistracted. We want, we want things that make us happy and please us and entertain us. And so what we have done for about a hundred and so years uh, from, from, well, the late 1800s is we have taken and we have divided the church up into chunks. And we have said, we'll teach everybody in their chunk so that things can be ordered and civilized and quiet and no one will be distracted. And age-graded teaching is important because we still have it in Sunday school. But, but there must come a time where the whole fellowship comes together, gathers together, and we, we tolerate one another in order to glorify God together. Now, I, I, gotta, I, I know that some of us have fallen asleep and snored, Right? Anybody? I, I did. I have. Don't, don't look at your spouse or someone that you know and blame them. It just happens sometimes, right? People fall asleep and so How annoying is that? Uh, anybody with the candy wrapper thing? Anybody ever had that happen? And it's not kids, is it? It's always that adult that should know better. And they're just like... What do we do? We put up with it. We accept it. We go, I get it in order to make sure they're welcome into the fellowship. Here's, here's the thing is, is we should be understanding why God wants children in the fellowship with us, in the gathering with us. Children are an example for us as we help them meet Jesus. Not many of us look at the children in our midst and go, we should be looking up to them. But that's what Jesus says. We should want to be like them in our faith. Gracious, energetic, welcoming, loving, trusting. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Peter, in preaching on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people get saved that day and are baptized. What a successful first day crusade. I mean, it's just amazing. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you once you reach a certain age and can respond in the way that I expect. That's what he says, right? No, it's for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. We should want children to be in our midst, to be hearing the good news, to be responding because the, the, they are included in this promise of salvation. Whoever will hear the good news and repent will be saved. And we should want that for everyone of all ages. And so when it comes down to it, just to say that children are welcome is, is one thing, but to create an atmosphere, to be a people who really believe that kids of all ages are welcome in our midst all the time should be who we are in Christ Jesus. And it's a challenge, and it's countercultural. You want to be a rebel? Let me tell you, rebel against what the culture says about treating children as lesser than, and instead see them as your potential brothers and sisters, and your already brothers and sisters in Christ when they make a profession of faith. Do you realize a, a three, four, five-year-old, and it's hard to understand, but there are some kids who are pretty precocious. A kid of five years old who receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is equal in standing before the Savior to you? Well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. There's no way that's possible. Oh, it's possible because that's what Scripture says. Why would they not be welcome in the gathering and taught how to be a mature believer by people who should be? mature believers. We want them welcome here. Here's, here's the truth. Children were present in the gathering and worship of the community of faith. We see all throughout church history, in fact, the presence of children until we get into modernity. And it's only in modernity that we want to separate them off and do something else with them. 
And we look at that and, and see that actually the reason children are supposed to be present in the community of faith is that the community of faith has a responsibility to them. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. And this is spoken to the whole community of Israel. God is to be number one. And that is supposed to be the rule of your heart. Repeat it to your children. Now, what you must understand is it's not just the children of your flesh. It is the children of your community. Every one of us in the room is responsible for children's ministry. All the time, every day. Repeat it to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you go up. It is our responsibility as a community to teach the children. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, specifically, it is your job to be training up your children in the instruction of the Lord. It is not a teacher's job. It is not a, a, a staff person's job. It is our job as a community, and specifically, fathers, it is your job to be setting the example. You know how you do it best? Is to bring them alongside you like Jesus brought his disciples and to live it with them. There's nothing more beautiful than children singing to God. Second only to that is men singing to God in front of their children with all of their hearts and giving their children an example to follow. I don't care how bad your voice is, guys. Belt it out, especially in front of the children. So not only should we look and say, historically children have been present, but we should say we want children to be present in our community of faith. We want them to be here just as much as we want the drug addict and, and the person who's stuck in adultery, the, the family that's crumbling, just as much as we want them in here, the, the, the person who needs Jesus off the street, we want them here. Why would we not want our own children sitting beside us and singing with us and learning with us? And you say, well, because they squiggle. Yes, and so do you. And if you stop squiggling, it's usually because you're asleep. But that's cool too. Because you learn and you grow and you mature when they're part of it, when you're part of the community. And we want the same thing for our children. So here's the promise that, that the church is making to parents and to, to people you will invite. We're going to continue to do some things to help us honor and welcome the children into our midst. Number one, we are going to keep fighting to have good, solid, biblical Sunday Bible school for Christians of all ages. It's not easy. Because teachers need time off or, or somebody gets sick and, and you know, to, to cover curriculum and to do all this stuff. It's, it's a challenge, but we are committed to helping you, if you're a parent, disciple your children. If you're a future parent, you can know that our church will be working to help you disciple your children. We're going to offer up some great adult leaders who are godly people who will speak into your child's life and re reinforce on your behalf the truth of Scripture. The second thing, we're, we're, we're going to promise to continue to the best of our abilities to provide children's activities and challenges. We want your children, we want the children of the church in the service, sitting beside you, listening and growing with you. But we also understand that they are a little more than you are. They struggle to focus. We got games right back there, table, kids, kids activities, games, bingo, all kinds of stuff. Words that they're doing bingo with what words Michael uses. Weird, but it works. You know why? They listen. They cross off the bingos. We're going to keep doing that. That's, that's one of the big parts of, of having a children's ministry director is the ability to provide opportunities like that. We, we're working hard to make sure that every Sunday there is someone back in the, the dark resources of the church offering busybody care. And what I mean by busybody is there are some kids who are under elementary school age who just can't sit still, and we get that. And we're trying to have volunteers staffing that and keeping that going so that if you've got a squiggler and they need time away, we understand that there are certain ages where it's nearly impossible. But also, if you've got a squiggler, they're welcome to be in here. In fact, more of us should probably squiggle a little more often. We just sang that song earlier about dancing and singing. I didn't see anybody dance. I tried to dance a little bit, but my dancing is terrible. And, um, 
Anyway, look, I, I appreciate um, Robert and Erica. And sorry to speak out, but, but William Squiggles, have you noticed that? You've maybe noticed it. William Squiggles. Do you know what William is doing as well, though? He's hearing. He's growing. He's learning what it is to sit in church. Do you know how many, how many 21-year-olds, they graduate, 18 to 21-year-olds, they graduate high school, they get out of youth group, and they don't know what to do with their faith? Do you know why? They were never welcome in big kid church and grown-up church. But if we include them in our midst from the very beginning, they understand what it is to be part of the body, to learn, to grow, to worship together, to have faith. But we're gonna, we understand there's some struggles. There's busybody care. We got chosen for the fourth through sixth graders to help fourth through sixth graders understand their faith more, to grow up in it. We have uh, events and, and we've got, there's going to be on the bulletin board downstairs a list of camps that you can send your kids to or you could sponsor some kids in the church. You can go to a family that, that uh, you like and say, hey, we'd like, I'd like to send your kids to camp. And, and we've got a great couple of camps picked out to recommend and send them to. We've got VBS, the, all these things that we promise to keep doing to, to serve. And we, we keep trying to offer to you family discipleship resources. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Missy last year sent out every week a read through the Bible devotional to all of our parents. Now, much like other email resources, it just tends to get ignored sometimes, but it was there. The whole New City Catechism is a disciple resource for all of us to disciple the kids we know and one another. Some things I'm asking for all of us to show to the children in our midst. Grace. Grace. You might look at them and go, well, they're distracting. Trust me, from up here, some of you are really distracting too. Grace. Let them know they're welcome. In fact, if you see a parent is struggling with a child, how about you go sit with them? Ask if you can help. Build a relationship so you're not just a creeper coming to sit by, but build a relationship and get to know them. Grace. Patience. How many of us lived this Christian life perfectly from the very first moment we were saved? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. I said we should show patience to those who are learning. Our younger brothers and sisters in Christ who are learning to live it in the gathering. To have a family attitude. When you look around the room and there's a child, that child belongs to the family of God. Now, that doesn't mean you get to take them home and uh, you know, have them clean the toilets and then bring them back. No, it, it, it means that we're all responsible for them together and we should be willing to invest together into their lives. And then finally, we, we should be working to provide spaces Look, you know, there's a couple of opportunities. And younger parents, you can still have kids that squiggle. There's things you can do if you can't deal with them, but you want them to be part of the worship time with you. First of all, we have nursing mother's room. And I don't know that we've anybody, got anybody using that right now, but it's available. And then downstairs, the service is always playing on the TV. And some of you adults, you squiggle enough, you need to go down there and just watch downstairs. But to, to offer spaces. And parents, specifically, some things I want to request of you. Attend Sunday Bible School with your kids. We're not just doing it for funsies. We're trying to provide a resource where there's somebody else in your child's life agreeing with you regarding spiritual truth and, and building up the truth in the life of your children. Keep your kids with you, like, all the time. Like, like keep them with you when you're here. Don't... I mean, they can go run and play from time to time, but like make it a priority to worship with them. Make it a priority to sing where they can hear you. Other adults, make it a priority to live out your faith in front of those kids, to pray for them, to engage them. How was your week? Anything I can pray for you about? And then finally, parents encourage you, take, take, take advantage of the resources that are offered for you. Or, or ask if you need help. We, we got good resources back there. We got offerings through Missy. You need counseling. I'm available. I'm not perfect, but I know what the Bible says about a lot of stuff. 
that, that we can help one another. Because ultimately what we want to understand is that all of us are welcome here. Whether sinner, man, woman, Greek, Gentile, slave, free, all of us are welcome here. Young, old, infant, child, on their way out to see Jesus. Everyone is welcome here. And we want to build a church where that is reflected in all that we do and made possible by the choices that we make, especially when it comes to children's ministry. Quick reminder, keep thinking about that one person that you want to see come to Jesus. Choose them, pray for them, and then share the gospel with them. There are a handful of tracks available today. I hope that shipping will stop being delayed and I'll get a whole bunch more in by next Sunday. These ones are kind of serious. I got fun ones coming. And then invitations to church. Choose a person, pray for them, and then be willing to share the gospel. Because everyone is welcome here. And we want to help them find their place in Christ's church. Let's pray. And then the worship team will close us out. Father, we thank you for today. We pray that, I pray, I ask that today, as a church family, we would understand the importance of children in our midst that we would not look at them as nuisances or, or things to just be tolerated, but that we would see every younger person as an opportunity to invest in the kingdom, as an opportunity to show love and to, to model the Christian faith, as an opportunity to disciple someone instead of condemn them from a distance, as an opportunity to serve instead of an opportunity to turn up our nose and think poorly of. I know that, that I struggle with accepting the, the rumblings and the busyness, that it can be distracting for me. But I also know that those distractions are worth it. Because having the children here is helping them to grow into you, Lord Jesus. Help us to have an attitude of, of welcome for all who walk in the door, young and old, sin-laden and forgiven, that we might glorify you and call others to repentance in your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you again for this time. Please bless our upcoming business meeting. Help us to be unified in love, to be honest in concerns, and able to move forward together on the mission you've blessed us with. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.